welcome to Maths Talk, where conversations in maths become part of your professional learning. My name's Leanne McMahon and welcome to 2021. Let's hope that this year has a few less challenges than last year had. To start off the year, we're going to ease into things by re-releasing an episode from early last year that looks at how to start the year off right in maths. So let's have a listen to what Marcus, Cass and I have to say about the sorts of resources you need in your maths classroom. Welcome to Maths Talk by AMSI Schools. My name is Marcus Garrett, and today I'd like to introduce my colleagues Leanne McMahon and Cass Lowry. Hi Cass and Leanne, how are you? Very well, thanks Marcus. It's lovely to be back. Hi Marcus, looking forward to uh, sharing my insights. Today we want to look at setting up your classroom from the get-go to make sure you've got the hands-on resources and teacher tricks that will help you make your maths lessons fun, exciting and accessible by all your students. We're going to look at both primary and secondary classrooms. So today Cass, who comes with expertise in primary maths, will help us out with that. And Leanne, who has maths and science teaching and expertise at secondary level, will help us out with our secondary classroom conversation. A bit of a disclaimer before we start. We'll talk about a range of resources and products today some of which will be generic and others may be brand names. Just to let folks know that AMSI schools don't endorse any particular brand over another, nor do we receive any sponsorship or advertising fees from any product companies at all. We're not endorsing any particular brand name, but rather the concept or activity. Disclaimer's done, let's get underway. I thought we'd start with primary and then move on to secondary classrooms although I reckon we'll find there's a bit of an overlap. So, uh, Cass, can you introduce us to some of the some of the ideas that you've got on setting up a, a really good primary classroom for mathematics? So I guess uh, one of my roles as mathematics leader at my school, I was in charge of the maths resource room. So I guess my first tip is we don't want maths resources in the maths resource room. We want them in the classrooms, if at all possible or in the time of many open plan areas. I understand some rooms do not have cupboards, but in an easily accessible shared area, I think is the best place for these resources. Yeah, and where where they can be used. Where they can be used. Mm. Another thing is storing resources in clear plastic containers that are labelled. So people and students and teachers and pre-service teachers, everyone knows what's inside and then people are more likely to use it. If you can see it, you can use it. If you don't know what it is, it'll never get used. Yeah. All right. So Cass, um, tell me about some of the things that you would definitely want to include in your primary classroom for mathematics. So I think uh, when you're setting up your foundation to year two classroom, you cannot have enough counters. I think counters are the essential. They come in all shapes and sizes. But to me, just your basic round counters are fantastic. It is worthwhile, though, actually splitting off, say, one or two colours just into single colours because when students are learning to count, it's good to take away as many variables as possible. So having a big rainbow container and having maybe a container of just the blue ones or just the yellow ones, it it can help those students. It sort of enables those students who are having trouble counting a mixed collection of counters. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of work, but it also saves really a lot of teaching and learning time that you would otherwise just be spending munchkins to, to sort, you know, can you sort these into yellow and these ones yeah. into blue? It'll take you half your lesson. That's 
um, really good to hear, Cass, because I must say, as a secondary teacher who goes into many, many primary classrooms, I've always thought, why have they got them in different colours? Why are they wasting their time? A very doing good reason. <laughs> yep. So I guess the other thing is, other than counters, also something like a unifix block, so clickable blocks that click together. And don't just store them in a big, large tub. You also need to store them in coloured sets of rods of 10. So this helps later on when you're introducing place value to students. So I always had a bit of a Tupperware style container, which had the rods of 10. And then Lifetime I had- Lifetime guarantee, yes. <laughs> and then I also had the mixed bag of unifix blocks. Unifix blocks are counters that you really need a set for your own classroom. So you, if you've got 25, 30 students, you need to think if I'm doing an activity, how many do I need so everyone in my class can be having uh, play with the counters? Yes, I find it really difficult when I'm working in classrooms and I say, right, get out the Unifix. Oh, that's next door. Every single classroom Every needs. single classroom yeah. and, needs And that. look, the colour-coded stuff, I'm sure there's probably people out there thinking, oh, you know, how, how anal retentive can these maths teachers be? But <laughs> it's actually a really important thing for a lot of kids. A lot of kids, particularly in the early years, seem to not be able to make progress because the counters are different colours. That They really get hung up on that, you know yep. what I mean? Like you get halfway through a lesson and realise that they're not counting the group of four because one's green, one's red, one's yellow and one's blue. Well, that's part of the curriculum yeah. too, the sorting. Yep. Yeah. So they can get confused yep. between sorting and counting. Yeah, so point well made. And you can start, the, I used to start the year with a big, large tub of Unifix unsorted and then with the students, we, we made towers, which which was the group who could make the most towers of the one colour. Students love it, but yep. from that point on, they're kept in what a great What a great way to not have to spend the first couple of days of <laughs> student-free days no. sorting counters. That's a great idea. Yeah. And also then students are aware we have the mixed group and then we have the rods that have 10 in them. A lot of the other resources that I would use for my, have for my classroom in the sort of the K, uh, K to 2 or F to 2, a lot of those things are just things that you can make yourself. Yep. So things like hundreds charts, I would go up to 120. 100, 120 charges, supertizing cards, which you can make just with, with stickers and paper plates or flashcards, just number cards. Sometimes people call them T-shirt numbers because they would use them and hold them in front of their top. They might make a bit of a string necklace for it, so it's like a T-shirt number. Just the numbers 0 to 100. Or again, you could go up to 120. But a lot of that stuff you can make in your classroom. You don't have to purchase it, tens frames. A lot of the other stuff, apart from counters and the Unifix blocks, Cass, can I just jump in there because Cass gave me the best idea when I had to go into a prep class. Now, again, being secondary trained, going into a prep class or a foundation class is still absolutely terrifying for me. <laughs> but Cass gave me the idea of making bead strings and it is now my go-to lesson. The first lesson is just making the strings of beads and Cass, you can talk more about it and we can actually do a yeah. podcast on it because it, it's such a fantastic resource. But I think it's absolutely vital in those early years. Yeah, so just to just talk about it quickly, every student makes uh, their own bead strings of two colours, so their favourite colours, so red and blue and it's uh, 30 beads and it's groups of five so we get the students to make it we often just use 
shoelaces because they're e it's easy for the students to thread them on and they make their own bead string and then they use that to uh, demonstrate their knowledge of numbers throughout the year. Um, they can just be made with pony beads and strings. There's actually a link on our Calculate website which we can share in the show note that explains all about how to make them and some activities that go with them. But yeah, definitely Leanne. Bead strings are a go-to resource. That, that idea of trusting the count can be used so much because they'll say, you know, how many are there? And they'll say, well, there's five. And well, how do you know there's five? You didn't count them. And they'll say, I knew because I counted them before and I know that that pink group is five. Yeah. So uh, it's really good for supertizing and for trusting the count. Hey, look, I'm interested just to, just to cut back a bit. You mentioned going to 120. Do you want to explain to people your reasoning behind that because I know most teachers would be familiar with hundreds charts, but why go to 120? Research um, conducted in Victoria under the Early Numeracy Project, it shows that a lot of students, um, the first hurdle students have is getting to 100. And once they are able to get to 100, the next hurdle is 109. Ah. So students be able to, will be able to count forwards by ones to 109. And then after 109, they'll go 109, 200, 201, 202, ah. 209, 300. So they right. they've sort of understand off the pattern. Um, there are commercially available hundreds charts that go to 120. It's just to expose them to the fact that there are numbers past 100. Yeah, I think I hear what you're saying. They're, they're still making patterns, but incorrectly. So it's familiarising them with the bridging from from above 100 into the, the 100 you know digits and then beyond that into the teens as mm. well. Yeah, so just yeah. from the beginning, showing them that numbers go beyond 100. Because yep. many students have heard of 100. If you throw a, a collection of counters on the table, they'll often say there's 100 in it. Yes. Mm. Um, that's sort of a, like a favourite number. It's, it's a favourite yep. number. Yep. Yeah. Many teachers will be stuck with a hundreds chart. My suggestion for that is use it by all means. Don't go out and buy a new one because it doesn't go to 120. But throw the idea out there. Is there a number after 100? I wonder what it would look like. I wonder how many numbers there are after 100. I've got a PDF that we can place up on the Calculate site so teachers can download Great. if they want a 120 chart. So a lot of a lot of those resources, counters, hundreds, charts, beads, strings, they're really good for teaching number and algebra concepts. Um, is there any other number and algebra resources that you would have in your primary classroom, or did you want to have a chat about some measurement and geometry uh, resources? In more, a, say, a year one class or year two, definitely um, plain icy pole sticks, or people would call them paddle, paddle pop sticks. Yep. <laughs> um, Depends which state you happen yeah, to be working right, in. Yeah. Has. I know a lot of craft supply stores sell coloured ones. Ah, yes. But yep. again, it's the coloured thing with the counters. It's better just to go for the one colour. They're actually, they're usually cheaper. cheaper. Yep. So just um, again, at the start of the year, you have them unbundled and you have some rubber bands and then with your students, you will make the bundles of 10. Yep. This helps students to trust the count. Yep. Uh, the other thing I would have in a junior classroom is plastic money. Oh, okay. Plastic money for number and algebra. Um, many students these days, we live in a tap-and-go PayPal society. Students haven't seen plastic money. So just introducing the idea of this is what the coins look like. I would also have in my classroom uh, at least one set of the coins, the actual coins. 
keep them in your drawer locked away, but just to show students this is what they look like. Yep. Because, in fact, some of those early years financial maths outcomes are simply about familiarising yeah. kids with mm -hmm. currency. It's not so much about being able to add sets of 10-cent pieces, 20-cent pieces up to make a sum, an additional uh, thing, but it's more about just letting them know what yeah. the 10-cent looks like, what the dollar yeah. coin looks like. Because they are confusing because the 50 cents, which is the biggest, has a big 50 on it, and yep. the $2 coin, which is the second smallest, yeah. has a 2 on it. So confusing. So, yeah. <laughs> I guess if we're looking at other areas of the curriculum, measurement and geometry, um, I don't, you can't go past um, the importance of having uh, 30 centimetre rules in your classroom, yep. even from foundation, just so students can practice holding them. And they also back up as a number line. So they are a number line, even though they are a ruler. Of course. So if you don't have number lines in your classroom, you can always use rulers, just exposing them to students and how to use them. Um, another good one to have is pattern blocks. So that's your hexagons, triangles. Don't confuse them with attribute blocks. Attribute blocks are uh, similar, but they're all diff different size and shapes of the same shape. Um, so pattern blocks uh, only have one of each shape, just in different colours. And a good thing for your classroom as well is uh, plastic analogue clocks. I know teachers often spend a lot of time making clocks with split pens. The students don't make them correctly. There's often errors and it's just easier just to have your yeah. own set. Yeah. I'd suggest making them. But don't use them as your resource. Yeah, don't use them as your resource. <laughs> yeah, mm. it's a craft activity. <laughs> <laughs> Another great resource to have is bucket balance. Would you call it that? A balance yeah, or with a pan the balance. Yeah, yep. a pan balance or a bucket balance. You don't actually need the weights because you can use the counters or Unifix blocks to put in there. But it's just a great resource to have in the classroom just to check and compare the size of different objects. Yeah, one of the great things a colleague showed me uh, early in my role here at AMSI when I was also working in early years classrooms is using a pan balance to demonstrate the concept of using the equal sign as a balance for both sides. You know, that, that common misconception that kids think equals means tell me the answer. And what um, my colleague showed me was that you can show kids that by balancing both sides of the pan balance and adding and subtracting items, it's really about making it equal on both sides. So they actually drew an equal sign in the middle of the pan balance to show what that means. Yes, well you've uh, just jumped in on me because I was Sorry. going to suggest that for my secondary algebra, but secondary algebra starts in primary school yeah. and in fact that relational thinking, that understanding of what the equal sign means should be entrenched by year two. Yeah. And I can absolutely guarantee in the vast majority of cases it's not. It's, hmm. it's not. And probably worth, um, do you think, spending a little bit more money on a decent pan balance for the classroom? I would try to have one per classroom if possible. Yeah. I think that uh, often things like pan balances get stuck in the resource room and they don't get into the classroom and that's where we really need them in yeah. the classroom. You don't need a whole set, you just need one in your classroom and then you can be using it to test is seven the same as five and two i'm not sure let's grab out the pan balance and have a bit of a check so just uh, using it the whole time um yep. it does the rule away the same as the drink bottle i'm not sure let's get out the pan balance you could be using it every day in your classroom yeah. but you've just got to have one sort of for a teacher demo yep. shared learning yeah 
I guess the the one last thing I would say with essentials is just a sort of dice and playing cards. Uh, so dice and playing cards, which cross over from statistics all the way to number and uh, chance and yep. everything. There, you can never have enough of those things. And look, they're really cheap to buy. So yep. it's always a good idea. So any nice-to-haves, any, any things in the classroom that maybe aren't critical or essential but, but would be pretty cool to have if, you know, in, in your maths classroom? Um, I guess in the additional resources or nice-to-have resources, just more counters are always nice. Um, I'm a huge fan of Cuisinair rods. Yep. If it was me, I would. that would be the first thing I'd bought. We've just had a new feature on the Calculate website which talks about using Cuisinair rods. Again, if you were going to have Cuisinair rods in your classroom, you need about 10 sets per class. So you're looking at between 1,500 to 2,000 rods for one class. Yep. Otherwise, what I've often seen in classrooms as we've been on the road is each class just has one set of Cuisinair rods, which is about 150, 200 rods, and it's just not enough. That's only enough for a group of about three students. Are they expensive to buy, Cass? Uh, no. Um, they're about... They range in price from about 15 to $25, depending on if you want to buy small amounts or if you want to buy huge tubs. My tip would be to be to buy more small tubs so then it's easier in the classroom you can just put one tub on each table rather than having to sort it out every time hmm. so you could build up that resource you over, could build up that resource over, over a number of years hmm. um, or you could buy a bigger tub of it probably more cost effective but then split it up in your classroom into smaller containers mm. Other nice things to have, um, geo boards, uh, the old geo boards, like the nail boards that we used to use and rubber bands, can never have enough of them. Uh, timers, kids love to time things. Oh, they do. Even when they're a bit unsure, the curriculum only says by the end of year three, they'll know time to the minute. Uh, no, end of year two, so beginning of year three, they'll know time to the minute. But kids just love timers. They do. So whether it's just um, the old-fashioned sand timers or just a stopwatch or a timer, they're fascinated by it. Absolutely. And being an Olympic year... Being it, Olympic year, all, yes. You can use that so well. They, they understand 15.53 in terms of time. Yeah. When they see it you know, on the on the scoreboard. Which table can sort the rods the fastest back into their colours? <laughs> <You know? laughs> One of my favourite activities to do with um, younger kids is is actually use timers and get them to close their eyes and see what they think a minute is with their eyes shut. So they stand, you know, yeah. for a minute and see if they see how close they can get to a minute when they've just got their eyes shut and it's it's actually quite amusing how many different answers you get across a classroom of, you know, twenty to 30 kids. Yeah. Yes. For year th three to six, I think everything that you'd have in a primary classroom, in the junior classroom, but just adding a few more things, including um, moving from what's called unifix blocks to multi-link blocks, because they're very useful for making arrays and wow. uh, volume uh, area, things like that. So they're the ones that you can join at any point. At on any the block. point. Yeah. Um, calculators in year three to six is something I also would have in the classroom. Um, at least one uh, one per pair of students. So yep. um, that's I think that's a really good idea. Um, also, all the other things the same, basic that you'd have in the junior classroom. Yeah, the calculators. Um, 
there are quite a few outcomes in the Australian curriculum that refer to using digital technologies, you know, for addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. So having calculators to use when you're working on those particular outcomes is actually quite critical. I think it's and just showing students that calculators are a way that we can check our answers. Yep. So if you're not sure, and also just allowing students to be exposed to bigger numbers. Yeah. The things that we've been discussing are resources for your individual classroom. Um, when you're talking about things for the whole school, stuff that probably could be stored in a resource room would be things like plastic containers for capacity, uh, kitchen scales, digital scales and assortment of weights, uh, mirrors, which are really good for symmetry, trundle wheels and thermometers, things like that, things that are bigger and that you don't use every day. We were having a bit of a chuckle about some of those things like trundle wheels earlier and making sure that that um, if, you, if you do do that, you plan ahead so that you don't turn up to the resource room and find some sods taking all the trundle wheels because you've got you know, you've got a measurement lesson coming up. So a bit of planning there. Yeah, I think it's important that whatever planning you're using, that teachers as a team when you're planning or if you're working by yourself, uh, really listing the resources that you'll need on your planner and locating those resources in the school before the morning of the lesson. That yeah. would be my, my tip. <laughs> And also, if you are lucky enough to have a resource room, conducting regular audits, not just once a year, every term if possible, just what's gone missing, what's broken, things like trundle wheels, you need to shop around. There's some on the market that break very easily. So there's others that are um, better quality and sometimes it's better to spend a bit more money for something that's sturdier in the long term. Let's turn now to have a look at the secondary maths classroom and what you would need if you were setting up for maths in the secondary school. Before we jump in here, Leanne, can we make a comment about the tricky nature of a lot of secondary maths in that teachers don't always have their own single classroom. They tend to be nomadic around the school. You're very lucky if you have your own classroom in a secondary school. Yes, you do tend to be nomadic, which means that if you are going to use resources, it can be quite difficult to be transported around the school. So I actually suggest that if you don't have your own classroom, there is a central place to store everything. Certainly the plastic tubs are a great idea. I was going to say a good idea is in your shared space, just have a trolley. You know, like when you go down the Footscray market and you get your fish and your veggies, you put it in a trolley. What a great idea. in the resource room with the equipment. Too often I see teachers trying to balance... (laughs) They're 10 boxes of Cuisinier rods. And, it's and a just, cup of coffee. And their cup of coffee, <laughs> and it just doesn't work. So when you buy the resources, get the trolley, have the trolley in there so teachers are ready to go and have more than one trolley because everyone's going to nick it. It's a great idea. And I guess on balance, although it is absolutely the case that in secondary classrooms you do need to include concrete materials. That's that's something that's often overlooked in secondary classrooms, but generally speaking, there's going to be less of that in secondary classrooms, and so hopefully those resources will be more portable. Yes. It's just, unfortunately, a lot of kids land in Year 7 and even progress then, you know, through Year 8 and even into Year 9, and 
they're still struggling with numeracy concepts to the point where they really do need those concrete materials to go back and reinforce what teachers are talking about. It sounds like primary school stuff and in fact I've seen high school kids actively resist that because they (laughs) feel that they're being treated as babies but you know I, I then have made the point to secondary classes hey look I like using concrete materials to help organise things into patterns, to help represent things, to help me think clearly. Yes. These students are used to having a lot of concrete materials. Cass has spoken about the enormous amount of materials that they have in primary classrooms. And they often go to a secondary classroom that has absolutely nothing. Um, I think it's really, really important that we as secondary teachers learn how to use these hands-on materials and use the CRA model the concrete representative abstract model. It helps in all ways. It's not just the job of the learning support teacher to provide concrete materials. It is the job of the classroom teacher. So the sorts of materials that I'm looking at in secondary classrooms are somewhat similar to CASA's, but I guess more related to the curriculum. So my main one is number lines. Because these students are starting to work with negative numbers, we are hoping that by the time they're in year seven, they have an internal number line. That is, they are seeing a number line in their head every time they go to do basic calculations. Now, that isn't the case. No. So that representation of a number line showing negative 20 to 20. Later on, you can go from negative 100 to 100. It doesn't really matter. You can use different scales. Number lines with maybe even blank scales so that, for example, you can then also show students, particularly in the earlier years of high school, fractions and decimals on number lines. But that's another thing that's often overlooked, the fact that we can represent fractions and decimals on, on number lines. Yes. Each child could have 20 number lines, really. It's up to you if you want to laminate them. But I think you need a really good supply of number lines. Some of the commercially available products have a number line on the front and on the back it's just got the graduation lines and so then you can write in with a whiteboard marker your own uh, number line. Some mini whiteboards also have uh, grids and number lines on them so it depends on what kind of mini whiteboard you've purchased but some of them do have that. Now speaking of mini whiteboards that's another resource that I think is absolutely vital in the secondary classroom and it's not one that I see often. The great thing about them is that your mistakes aren't permanent and I find once you get to secondary school they're terrified of making mistakes. Mm. You hear the primary kids saying oh yes mistakes are great and they get to secondary school and mistakes are the worst thing that can happen to them. We need to keep up that idea of mistakes are good in maths. So the whiteboards are really good because they can rub them out. The other important thing to have when you're teaching algebra is things like plastic cups. So you can label the plastic cups as the unknown. Making that leap from a number I don't know to X is a very big leap. And so if you have that plastic cup and write X or Y or whatever your pronumeral is going to be, and then say, all right, there's a number of counters in here, you can't see them, but I've put this cup with an X on it, plus four equals seven. How many counters have I got in my cup? 
what does that X stand for? And then if you're talking about 2X, you can have two plastic cups. Then you're looking at like terms. So you can gather your plastic cups with Xs together. It's a really nice concrete way to reinforce the idea that algebraic variables are about an unknown. They're not a constant, which persists, <laughs> you know, quite a long time into secondary education. Students still think, I oh, know X means just one particular thing and why don't I get this algebra because I still don't know what X is and yep. I'm in year nine. There are a number of misconceptions that can actually be really cleared up with these concrete materials. Mm. So in terms of some other uh, topics from, say, number, the number and algebra strand, what about some resources that will help kids with that old chestnut that so many kids struggle with, fractions and decimals. What are some ways that secondary teachers can provide resources to assist those kids that once again have arrived at high school, still haven't got their minds around fractions and decimals? With fractions, I'd suggest you have a look at Cass's recommendations because fractions are something that really have carried on from primary school and anything you use in the primary class can be used in the secondary class. Yeah. Cuisinier rods and pattern yeah. blocks are two very good resources that can be used yeah. for representing fractions yeah. um, as opposed to commercial fraction cakes or... No, no, don't know, get those. Don't yeah. need those. No. We want resources that can be used in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. So Cuisinier rods, the orange rod doesn't mean need to represent 10. It could represent X. It could yes. represent anything. It could represent, represent one. one. And then you, that's when you start to look at fractions. Cuisinier rods can be used for algebra or anything. Yeah. So Same with yeah. pattern blocks. Yeah. Yeah. They have a relationship between them. So any materials yeah. that have a relationship can be used to help you with understanding fractions. Great. Yes. My favourite resource when teaching decimals is the LAB or DeciPipes. Uh, the LAB stands for Linear Arithmetic Blocks. These are absolutely fantastic for curing the longer is larger misconception or its opposite, the shorter is larger misconception. It actually enables students to see how big decimals are. It's a good example of why using concrete materials, even in high school, is, is really essential for so many students. They still haven't got a mental picture of uh, the magnitude of decimal numbers. That's right. There is a lovely little test you can do to actually see if they've got that misconception and that's available on our website. So for example, someone who has that misconception is going to think that 3.097 is a bigger number than 3.1 because there's more digits in it. Not only are there more digits, yes, but there's a nine and a seven. That's way bigger than one. Yep. So if you can show them that using these LAB pipes, um, and they're just made of electrician's conduit, and very easy to make, and there are very, very clear instructions available, just Google it, LAB decimals. Decipipes or yeah. decipipes. Yeah, yeah. decipipes, decimals, and it's all available very easily. I've had schools who have had working bees for parents to make them. Electricians are the best people that you'll find. They're so used to cutting the conduit that it's really, really easy for them. And we can also probably put on, on the Calculate website a another version of those where you can just use curtain wire to make a similar kind of resource. Go out to the haberdashery and the, and the hardware store and you can yep. just buy bits and pieces to make your own 
version of Desiccates. Have we got that on the website? I can, oh, we can put it that's, on with yeah, the notes. It, that's yep. really good. The one thing with uh, LAB and Desi Pipes is I've used both of them in the classroom and it, it just blows students' minds. Yeah. The, and you only need one or two lessons and that's it. The students, yep. after that, the students seem to pick it up really quickly yep. and they'd never seen it. They're fantastic. Yeah. That, that's right. And that's so they are an ideal resource for the school. You don't need 10 sets in your classroom until you're actually working with them. Mm. Then you need 10 sets. So as a school, I would buy 10 sets or I would make 10 sets. Mm. You can buy them. Again, Google it. You'll be able to find them. So if you can't get these or if you suddenly realise, I've got a kid with this misconception, the other one that you can use is Desi mats, which are very easy to find and occur on a piece of paper. So have a look at those. They're again on our website and we've put links there. So for measurement and geometry, it's best done hands-on, really. Mm. Many of those items that Cass discussed would be really useful, especially the pattern blocks, the attribute blocks. The tape measures are really important. String the balances. As you get up, you're going to be doing a lot more on angles, so protractors of many sizes and shapes. Not just your half-moon protractor that you get in your geometry set. You want big ones, you want little ones, you want full-circle ones, because they come in so many varieties. Kids are going to come across them all the time. If they're only used to that half-circle one, they're not going to know how to use it. The other thing that comes on from that is the clinometers that are great for trigonometry. And I think we've got on our website a fantastic lesson on trigonometry. But you need a clinometer to determine the angle. Yep, and there are little clinometers you can make yourself. You can make them yourself. I think we've got the instructions on our website uh, with a straw, a bit of paper and a bit of string. The other thing that will come in very, very handy if you're lucky enough to have them is interactive whiteboards because they have many of these resources already built into the whiteboard. Please don't use it just as a normal whiteboard. Your school has paid thousands for them. Use all of the great programs that come with them. Dice, cards, any sort of random sampling or anything like that you can use on the interactive whiteboard. Still give them the opportunity to work with cards and dice. I think that's really important. They need to actually feel and see. But if you're trying to generate random samples, if you want to do 500, 1,000, 10,000 iterations it gives you much more accurate data. So you can actually then see that the more times you do some sort of random sampling, the closer to the theoretical value you'll get. So there's your interaction between technological platform and the hands-on. Right, yep. So you can actually show a concept with the hands-on, you know, say using dice or some other method of random sampling, and then show exactly the same thing electronically or digitally. Absolutely. Okay, well, look, to wrap up our conversation, I just wanted to have a bit of a chat about a couple of things. Both of them, I think, can be quite controversial in schools. In fact, I've seen teachers have very strong positions on on both these areas. The first is using tech or software, maths software in the classroom. Um, So, in other words, using maths apps and programs. And the other one is using textbooks. So have you got any thoughts on... Let's start with the, the using maths software programs. Have you got any thoughts on those guys? 
I think maths software can be a very good tool. I think you're doing your students a disservice by relying on one program or one textbook or one anything. Mm. So if you were just using counters to teach everything, it would be the same. You, you really, what you're doing is you, you're giving your students just one way of thinking about the mathematics and relying heavily on one particular platform or format rather than exposing them of, to different ways of doing things. I think that's right. I think that some of the online apps or apps that are available commercially are timed. Just be wary of the time thing and how that does affect some students. Yeah, mathematicians aren't necessarily good mathematicians. We all know what Joe Bowler says about time tests and that sort of thing can really contribute to maths anxiety. Yeah. The key is variety and um, different programs. And also looking at programs that are uh, not practice programs, but programs that are like what I would call creator programs. So programs such as iMovie or Explain Everything, where you can get the students to record their own thinking and explain their own thinking using their preferred app. It's really encouraging them to think open-endedly, isn't it? Rather than just answer this particular question within this particular time frame. Instead, you're saying, show me how you would do this using using that kind of open-ended you, software. Sort of more a creating application yeah. rather than a, yeah, just a practice. There are two types of software that we're talking about. There's the almost textbook online, mm-hmm. which is those programs that go all over the year and you're expected to run with that. And then there are the apps. There are practice apps. There are create quiz, apps. Quiz apps. You know, so... I'm not saying that you shouldn't use software. What I'm saying is that there needs to be a huge variety and that it needs to be suitable for your students. And I think the other thing is making sure parents are aware of the message that if you are using um, a math software program, even if it's just at home for homework, the student needs uh, a pen and paper and ruler next to them. They can't do all the maths uh, simply on the screen. They need to be able to write things down, rub them out, make mistakes, have lots of different ways of Or of a doing mini things. whiteboard, as yeah. Leanne suggested yeah. earlier. Yep. Okay, and textbooks, do, it, it, similar kind of thing. Is there a particular message that you'd like people to hear about using textbooks, particularly at secondary level? There's a bit of negativity around textbooks and I think the thing that we need to remember about these textbooks is it's hard to come up with questions. It's like in anything, we all have a preference for questions. So sometimes when we're coming up with questions, we might have a whole lot of addition questions or using whole numbers. We haven't thought of using negative numbers or fractions and I think a lot of time has gone into these textbooks to ensure they're sort of tiered, they get the difficulty increases and you don't have to use it all the time, but it is hard and teachers are time poor. So it is hard to come up with questions and looking at the questions in the textbook, I think can help you as a teacher. So really it's the same messages for software. Textbooks are an invaluable resource, but make sure that there's some variety in what you're providing. Don't just rely too heavily on just one text to teach, you know, for the whole year for everything. It's There's no replacement for good classroom teaching. That's absolutely right. In primary school, though, what do you think about uh, textbooks in primary school, Casp? Um, I think I, I do see them um, sometimes in the upper years. They're not often in the junior years. 
I encourage my teachers to go to the actual tests that they use. So obviously being Victorian-based, we use the early numeracy interviews. Mm-hmm. And actually looking at the types of questions in those tests and thinking, how can I use this with the students? Because again, these questions weren't just someone just one day walking to work thought, oh, you know, I think I'll ask this to my students. These questions have been researched. Same with old NAPLAN questions. These questions have been researched. They've been trialled. The language in these questions have been chosen because of the complicated nature and sort of the issues around it. So I think they're a valuable resource to Yep, they're they're curated and there's some pretty specialist expertise that has gone into putting those questions together. Even a textbook, it's not someone just wrote it on the weekend. It's been edited, it's been checked by a group of people, it's been trialled in schools, it's been fixed up and things like that. So I think you can use it. You don't have, teachers don't have to come up with all the questions by themselves. Well, I think that's probably a good place to leave it. You've been listening to Maths Talk by AMSI Schools. Why don't you get in touch? Just go to our webpage, calculate.org.au, click on the podcast menu tab, and on the page you'll find a webmail option. You can ask questions or provide feedback there. I'd like to thank my colleagues Cass and Leanne for joining me today for what I think has been a really practical and helpful Maths Talk. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. And don't forget to subscribe to Maths Talk on Apple Podcast and follow us on Spotify if you're listening from one of those platforms. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye.